Hello, listeners. Hey, everyone. How are you? Welcome you to Neurodivergent Moments. <laughs> Some one-way conversation. Um. Uh, yeah, welcome. Uh, oh God, see now we're awkward again because I'm I'm <laughs> queuing up my moment for the end. Okay. Um, great, we're doing good. Okay, guys, hi. Well, welcome uh, to podcast. <laughs> well, we're both tired and exhausted. We've both been doing those gigs, and um, life as a comedian's hard. Do you ever get that feeling where you think, "Oh, the reason I did this was to opt out of hard work. That's the yeah. reason I'm a comedian," and then it's become more hard work than than if I'd just got on boring office job it's more I, fun though i was telling someone uh because i just came off of a ship and we were talking about the travel between to and from ships and i was telling them how mm. one time this is a I, cruise ship you're not yeah you become pirates cruise, yet. yeah i'm not a i'm not a pirate that's the dream though um <laughs> uh, i was uh telling someone that it's like one time i had to go from manchester i think you'll remember back down to london had to repack to go on a uh, festival that was in the alps so i had to pack for a ski holiday came home repacked went on a cruise and like i just collapsed when like trying to do my third repack and i told tom i was like i just wish sometimes people would understand how hard it is because <laughs> it's like all on my social medias is like pictures of me in spain and then pictures of me in austria and in between i'm just <laughs> weeping it's very hard to get sympathy when you're struggling with packing for a paid ski holiday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. But it is exhausting at times. But that being said, you know what wasn't exhausting? Recording this episode with Howard Reed. It was lovely. I love Howard. I saw I saw him on Thursday. We did a kids' gig together in Taunton. That was really uh, fun. He was very funny. Did he bring his uh, uh, frying pan? That's a fake frying pan? No, he didn't know. He um what did he do? He did human guess who. So he'll do a thing uh, at Kids Gigs where he, he secretly draws an audience member and then plays human guess who. Yeah, which you will hear all about in detail in the podcast yes. if we didn't edit out that part. <laughs> uh but if we did, it'll be in the extras in the Patreon, so you can on check Patreon, that out. On too. Patreon. Yes. Should we bring Howard on? Yeah. Oh, but we should way, say Howard is dyslexic. Yeah. That's the thing we should say. <laughs> And we talked I, about making things hard for yourself. Yeah, it's it was a really interesting uh, listen. Speaking of making things hard for yourself, I feel like we are both feeling that today. <laughs> We've made things too hard for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here's Howard, guys. Here's Howard. Howard Reed. Uh, how it reads. <laughs> we gig together usually at kids' gigs, don't we? That's yes. where we usually see each yeah, other. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen you do growing up stuff. It's I've mainly filth. seen you do. I really, <laughs> I, yeah, because most sort of my kind of day job has turned into um, I write for lots of kids' animations and right. stuff like that. And so all jokes I write that are remotely adult or rude, uh, I get, get suppressed. Uh, and then eventually <laughs> yeah. I walk on stage and, and I gig sort of yeah one or two nights a, a week for stand up audiences but yeah. then the bile just pours enough <laughs> bile I can't imagine that <laughs> so, so innocent it's, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's quite innocent self-deprecating bile where I'm the part of the joke um, most of the time uh, but yeah it's it's out, out of filth 
I wanted to ask because you do a fantastic thing at Kids Gigs where you do live Guess Who, where yes. you've drawn secretly drawn an audience member and you get the audience to play Guess Who with with their questions. Uh, what What are the weirdest questions you've had from kids? I, um, you j- very often, very often, it's it's things they don't know that like what's what what are their eye colours and like there's a four hundred people in a room and you can't I can't see anyone's eye colour. <laughs> yeah. um, um, I'm just trying to think what the, the, yeah the, the, it's always just sometimes you get particularly do it in schools it's incredibly race based oh, like, it okay. really like and it also because you're drawing like usually on white paper yeah, you know, yeah. really self conscious like colouring people in like, yes. <laughs> the wrong colour it's, it's always yeah it's yeah I, I Oh, they don't go into terror because I, I play um, uh, Rizlerhead um, with my, my oh, yeah, sister, cool. yeah. and uh, she just asks these really hysteric questions. So usually, first question would be, "Are they a man or are they a woman?" That yeah. would be the first yeah. question. Splits it more or less in half. Uh, but my sister will ask things like, "Are they kind to animals?" Is it David Attenborough? He'd be the only one. <laughs> I mean, she asked that when it was Jacob Rees-Mogg, and I don't think Jacob Rees-Mogg is kind to animals. He's kind I don't to know. No He's one. kind to no. Yeah, it's usually, it's usually something like, "Are they like the ones like are they ugly or right? like you go, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> do they have massive ears?" Oh, mate! Uh, yeah. And you have to yeah find a, a wow. nice wife because yeah. you can only be. Mainly be rude to parents, and mainly, yeah, mainly yeah. just be rude to bald men. That's <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Who get the, and they're the easiest to draw, so it's almost always a bald man. <laughs> Have you ever had an adult breakdown in tears? They're like, I know, I know. It's because I have high testosterone. I can't help it. No, you do sometimes, especially in kids' gigs. It took me a while to notice. Um, with interacting stuff with with kids because there's lots of bits of my shows where I run about in the audience and I had a bit where I I make kids fart and I make there's a bit where I play a tune on their heads with uh, a frying pan and mm. really early on when I was doing it I would run into the frying pan running to the audience with a frying pan and I noticed a kid with earphones on and part mm. of me would go what's what he got earphones on and then you just about go oh god yeah yeah but they 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 clearly got yeah, neurodiversity things, and possibly hitting them with a frying pan in the middle of the day is, <laughs> is not a not a good way to go. Uh, for the listeners at home, I just want to clarify that this frying pan is made of foam or yeah, rubber. Yeah, 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 he's yeah, not yeah, hitting yeah. people with an actual physical <laughs> frying pan. Because whether you're neurodivergent or not, that's a lot. That don't don't yeah, again. I, I've stopped doing all my disclaimers that I do in kids. <laughs> don't hit people around the head with frying pans, kids. That's it. And you, most of your work at the moment is writing, you're right. Writing. Yes. So what, are yeah. you allowed to talk about things you're writing? Or? Um, so the last thing I wrote, and the reason I had to, we had to postpone this, was mm-hmm. I was totally out of the blue, um, got a call to write a, a, uh, an animation explaining the coronation to primary school kids. Wow. So it, it, and it, but literally, it was about a month ago, like okay. almost exactly a month ago. Uh, so they had, we had a month to write, and like, a month to write a 10-minute cartoon isn't usually enough. Yeah. Um, a month to write, voice, animate, and distribute nationally a cartoon uh, is definitely not enough. So How it was, carefully did you have to gloss over the colonial history? Yeah. <laughs> you, How really, did you keep your politics it, out it, of no, it? And, yeah, and basically no one on board, everyone was sort of artistic. It was an advertising agency that, that, that made it, and uh, everyone was, yeah, creative people, none of whom are huge fans of the product. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, so everyone was sort of... Uh, but then I started finding that maybe I was overcompensating and being slightly too toadying because like, <laughs> oh, I, I don't agree. But uh, um, 
Yeah, it was it was it was tricky, but also it had to be. Like, it was being it was commissioned by the government, and so the government looked at it, and it went to the palace as well, and wow. uh, and so there's some. Very, so the best bit, the, the bit that they were really worried about, was explaining all the stuff with the holy oil and the stuff, all the stuff that happened behind the screen mm-hmm. on the on the day. They were very tentative about. We couldn't like the the pitch that the company made was they basically putting googly eyes on things to do with the monarchy and making them t- animating them, making them talk. And mm. their their opening thing was to put googly eyes on the uh, eagle shaped thing that carries the holy oil, which is basically, if you believe in that sort of thing, the most holy thing. And then you cannot put googly eyes on the most <laughs> sacred thing. Uh, and the way we got around that was we did it all in Minecraft. So they built um, uh, they found a company who builds stuff in Minecraft. And they, we acted out the um, most sacred part of, <laughs> of the coronation with uh, a Minecraft Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, yeah, and, and so all the crowns and all the bits of bling that he gets given were all things you craft in the crafting table on Minecraft. That's amazing. So yeah, imagine being played by, are they called creepers? The little... Yeah, uh, so they had to be careful who was playing it as well. It wasn't, it wasn't the subtext. You weren't, yeah, yeah the, 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 the king wasn't going to explode halfway through. Yeah, uh, yeah and so my, my son... Um, and some of his mates uh, got to be extras, Minecraft extras, in, wow. and got to do the. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's loads of things you couldn't say, and loads of things, loads of things you wanted to say, but you were yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. nothing was going to get. Yeah, through. you can't just Prince Andrew that, and the animal. <laughs> is that weird to like? Because you know, you put stuff out in the world, and you never really know who sees it and who doesn't. But is it was it a bit strange to be like the the government and the palace are gonna like. King Charles is going to see this. Yeah, possibly, yeah. No, it's mental. And uh, and at which point you like, and I got into stand up because like I didn't want to be anything to do with the establishment, and now I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> You've got kids. But, yeah, you have college yeah, tuition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely. No, but also, I, I, my, I, I did the Royal Variety with Little Howard a, a long time ago, so I'm already, I've already sold out down that. Yeah. I don't think I knew you did the Royal Variety. Okay. Yeah, in 2007. What was that like? It was mental. So I, because like no, no one, I was the least famous person on it. Mm. Possibly the least famous person ever to have done the Royal Variety. What claim to fame? Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, and it was two years, three years after they'd come and see my Edinburgh show, um, and uh, totally out of the blue, they got in touch, and it was it was like a month before I was getting married. And so I spent, and because I wasn't famous, they needed everything signed off, the script totally signed off, and everything we were going to say signed off, because they wanted me to be... So I do a, an act with me and a cartoon boy called Little Howard, and he, he's got that ventriloquist thing going on where he can be cheeky. He's sort of childishly, naively cheeky to people. And the year before, someone had said something that... I think Catherine Tate had made a joke that had upset Prince Philip. And they've got... They basically not they, racist enough, was that the <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 uh, they, He'd said a very funny thing with... Uh, uh, Stephen K. Amos as well. He basically Prince Philip went up to Stephen. Steve K.'s got a joke uh, about um, not being able to get on telly until Lenny Henry's dead, mm. which dates it slightly because yeah, that was kind of before diversity and like when there was literally one black person mm. on yeah. telly at a time. Um, and Prince Philip apparently went up to him and said, um, "I could get that sorted out for you if you like." <laughs> <laughs> which all props to yeah, yeah considering. <laughs> the rumours that yeah, go around. You know I'm not just a figurehead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do have powers. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was just insane. It was in Liverpool because there was a Sydney culture. Up, up until... They had to, had to get, sign everything off. So up until... It got signed off pretty much the day before our wedding. So the week before the wedding, I wasn't writing a speech about my wife. I was writing 
jokes about the Queen. Um, and then we went on honeymoon, and they had ten days after we got back from honeymoon to voice, animate, rehearse an entirely new set. Um, and we, a new set for an animation show is really, really hard work. I make things very hard for myself. Yeah. Um, uh, what yeah. a slick uh, going into the theme of the. Yeah, I was going to say. That was not oh, you nailed it. But no, wow. but yeah, finish the story, and then but, we'll talk more about how you just stand up comedy animation yeah, to make yeah, your yeah. life harder. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, and it was just it was so it got all got done, and the first joke of the um, the set was about not being famous because like I was in the lineup because you, at the end of it you go and meet the you, every, the royal whoever it is comes around and shakes everyone's hands, and I was standing next to Michael Ball in full drag um, as he was part of the hairspray cast, and Enrique Iglesias, <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's just me like in my, my dad's tuxedo in between. Um, uh, and they can come and say hello. Um, and my joke was about the um, about I did a joke about not being famous, which uh-huh. um, got nothing in the room because all the toffs in or, or in penguin suits went. You're, you're not. <laughs> there wasn't one. <laughs> but joke. do they know the other people? They don't know who Enrique Iglesias is, though, do they? I think they probably at the time they would have. It was like 2007 when he was really. Yeah, but yeah. even did Prince Philip know who Enrique? I oh no! So but like you, we were in the um, the Empire in, in right. In so who got, I don't know who goes to that really. Who so it's there? all invited guests, and it, it, right. it's but you pay like three four hundred quid because it's a it's a big charity. Yeah, um, I always imagine those people just exclusively listen to opera. Probably, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that joke got nothing okay. at all in the room. So it was the first joke. <laughs> but fortunately, the audience, the TV guys knew it would be funny on telly because on mm. telly, everyone goes, Yeah, I've no idea who you are. Yeah. If you make a joke about that. Um, and so they edited a laugh onto that one thing. And then the <laughs> next joke just went and, and took off. Uh, yeah, I was just deeply weird. And I was in a dressing room with um, uh, uh, Russell Brand uh, and Tarby, um, Tarbuck, who was wow. like a, a. I don't know who Tarbuck um, is. So uh, you Jimmy are not- So Lisa Tarbuck's dad. I'm, I'm like here to tell you right Zuzo. now, you're not the least famous person. It <laughs> <laughs> was like an old school. Yeah, no, he's one he, of the few that escaped so, tree, isn't it? Yes, yeah, and he. Um, uh, although I think they escaped too close to him. Um, oh, okay. uh, but um, uh, he was like he'd like when I was in the Royal Variety as a kid, he was doing the Royal Variety like in the seventies and eighties. Right. Oh, okay. So, and but it was literally one dressing room with like Al Murray and Steve Kamos and. Uh, and Russell Brand, who just would then went off and just shagged a load of dancers. Uh, <laughs> very strange, surreal night. Wow. Wow. So, going back to the topic at hand, making things hard for yourself. So, just to catch people up, you are dyslexic. Yes. Yeah, that's your, that's your neurodivergent moment flavor. And... Um, so talk about that a bit. One way is you do animation comedy, which involves a lot of pre-work and bringing a load of shit to gigs. Yes. Yeah. And like my get-ins to do like my full Little Howard shows are... So the animation's called Little Howard. I'm not referring to my penis. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Like get-ins for that are like three hours. Like, and like, but I can also just do stand-up where I can just turn up and talk. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes play a ukulele, but I don't even plug it in. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, I'm dyslexic. So I... Um, at school, very smart, but couldn't read, and spelling was terrible, and my handwriting is all over the place, and it still is. It's, um, and uh, but then I, I'm now a writer. Is is that, that my main sort of job is is script writing and things like that. Um, so, and I think I've done that because I firstly didn't find out I wasn't diagnosed for until right at the end of school, 
until um, after I'd done my GCSEs, I got, I did quite well on my GCSEs, and my folks tried to t- send me to a private school, and I didn't want to go, but I went to the, the interview, and the, the headmaster just said, have you uh, ever thought about being, seeing if you're dyslexic? Because they called it a specific learning difficulty all the way through my childhood, so I didn't <laughs> know. Everyone kept on telling me I was smart, but I couldn't read. Mm. Uh, and uh, so I just didn't... And that's one of the things about what's great about what's happening now is people have now people are getting diagnosed and have a name for their pain. For mm-hmm. No, oh fuck, that's why I'm that's why I'm not like anyone else at school. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I but then I went into doing English literature, and so at uni I did English literature and history, which are two of the most heavy heaviest reading, mm. um, and also history books are fucking boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and I yeah struggle to get through those but managed to get a history degree still um so I, I think i got a it's given me a chip on my shoulder about um proving that i'm smart to everyone yeah and so everything i do has to be just i it has to have some sort of element of going oh, i'm clever i'm clever as well <laughs> so, okay this is a very stupid question but when you say what you can't saying, saying I'm not clever. exactly <laughs> uh when you say you can't read like what what does that mean? Because you did get through school. You yeah, did. Oh no, so I you are right. So, I, so, like, yeah, it's like when someone's blind but legally blind, they can see but not a lot. So, yeah. is it like that sort of? So, I can read, obviously. Um, uh, I just couldn't read at the all the way through school. I couldn't read at the pace. So, when I left school, I think I had a test that said I had the reading age of a fourteen-year-old, like at sixteen, uh, I, yeah, at eighteen. Um, and so I was that far behind. And like in primary school, when you're that far behind, like I literally, before the end of, I couldn't read fluently and I couldn't read fluently out loud until about, th- like until I had kids, until I... Um, had to read storybooks. Read storybooks. Um, uh, like literally, and so I w- never really did any acting or never did any voiceovers, um, which is a sideline that lots of comics do because a script, I can't, if unless I know the script, unless I've written it, I can't, I, I just freak out. And, yeah, I can't either. Maybe I'm dyslexic I too. I can't do corporates because there's a script there, and I just, I just I'm just thinking I, I can't read this, and I can, and it's, it's totally a psychological thing now that I see blocks of text and I go, no, fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> um, get, get that away. It's like I've got a phobia of of written down letters. Yeah, um, despite the fact I read and write scripts all the time, like forms and um, anything official where you've got to get something right in writing. And in reading, I just like it's like, get, get that away from me, um, and that's still uh, to this day. And it's only recent, literally only recently that I've started. Like part of my work is usually pitching ideas, pitching scripts to people, and literally, literally, probably in the last six months, I've started reading my work out loud on Zoom calls and in in things and performing it like a performer because it's I'm like in my mid forties, late mid forties, um, <laughs> and. That now is the first time I've really been confident about doing that, which is, yeah. Do you still feel like you have that chip on your shoulder? Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, yeah, I, I constantly like I because I write for kids a lot, and so I always try and make um, stories far too complicated for, and I always try and do far too sophisticated jokes that are like uh, existential and things like that. And it's like I, I did an end of a show where I used all the jokes that got cut from um, various scripts that I really loved that, that they didn't and one of them was writing for Sesame Street and um, that is so wow, cool wow 
uh, reading isn't actually that important. Yeah. For me, literature and stories are important, but stories are words, and words aren't necessarily yeah. written down. That's the thing that, that I think is the hope for the future for dyslexic kids. And I think, too, just now that you say all that, she's also known. Whereas you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Forever. Yeah, yeah. Forever, till you were so, 18. But, like, that's a long time of being told to read. And I don't know about you, when you, what I think is so funny when you're like, no one needs to read, it's not important, is just at my school, the drive for more reading. Mm. Like, the book fairs. And the we had a uh, library in a... Um, the library had a caravan that would come to the school so we could check out books and, like... All that sort of, like, you guys didn't have this, but there was, like, a book club for Pizza Hut. Do you guys know about this? No. So there, yeah, Andrew (laughs) just freaking turned around. I was a big Pizza Hut fan. I can't quite remember the rules of it, but it was basically, like, you had to read so many books, and if you did, then maybe it was with stickers. God, I wish I knew exactly how this worked now. But if you succeeded at reading a certain amount, then you got to go to Pizza Hut and you'd get, like, a personal pan pizza and, um, and like, a Coke. Like, Pizza Hut was supplying meals so I'm just saying, I'm just for Googling reading this as, kids. As yeah. If you get uh, Pizza Hut, what was it called? The Pizza Hut book? Book it. Program. Book it. Yeah, that was wow. it. Book it. Um, I, I think I want to come up qualify. I... I think stories and, yeah, you, and art and consuming are really important. Mm-hmm. But what's great is you, if you struggle with reading, you're not restricted. I think reading is great. If I could have read, if I could read all the time, I would. But I just literally, I literally, bedtime when I open a book, I'm a, literally asleep after a chapter. Oh, I, no, a paragraph. Sometimes half a page, I'm just like, just out. It just does something to my brain that just shuts it off. But, yeah, I, I'm not saying that, because I also... I think in stories all the time, but right. because I've been steeped in stories my whole life, most of them read, but actually I could have got to that place without having, because I struggled with reading, I could have got to this place that I am at now without quite so much pain. I, yeah. <laughs> that, that's why I was thinking that's good. I'm not saying that kids shouldn't read. If they if they can read and they love reading, they it's, it's quite It's quite a Western thing, that sort of going, reading is the best type of storytelling, yeah. you know, and, and it sort of has its history in, in sort of religion and stuff like that, you know, and it's... Um, but like an audiobook that's read by the author, it's, it's probably same. a better way of... Right. of, of yeah, Because totally, yeah. uh, Tony Law used to have a brilliant um, joke about, um, what if we, we book, books are all very well, but what if the the, the acting in your head shit? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, if you've got someone else to... And I've, the, the thing I've discovered about the, uh, in pitch meetings now reading my own words is that if I can read the words as I if I as I wrote them then the people listening will get the jokes much better than like your stand up set if you mm-hmm. write it down it's nowhere near as funny as, as oh if the, it looks so uncomfortable yeah yeah oh god I've for effect yeah. <laughs> uh, so the worst thing when you have an audiobook not read by the author and you go oh you really fluffed that yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I get just to clarify myself when I'm saying like how you said reading's not important like I feel like when I was a kid the act of physically sitting with a book yeah. was what was championed it, was it wasn't yeah it wasn't books on tape it wasn't my mom used to read out loud to me a lot yeah. like that's one of my greatest memories that's how I got into David Starris. Uh my mom would read out your loud your mom read David Sedaris to you yeah, I, but, yeah she took me I've, I've seen him read, read like three times fun fact I went to go see him in high school and I was so excited about it and I didn't tell my mom and I printed off some of my own writing and I gave it to him 
And he wrote me, and I got cold chills. He wrote me back. Ah. He wrote me back. I, I still have his letter. Anyway, wow. but my point is, is like, it, like even now, I used to read a lot more as a kid, and now I don't read, and I have a great shame. You beat yourself up about it. Yeah, and, and even we did a, a, we've started a book club on mm. our Patreon, and the first book we read, Joe was like, if you're having trouble reading it, Abigail, there's an audio book. And I was like, I'm not going to do the audio book. I'm got, I got I got to read it. I got to physically fucking read the book. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to start doing again is reading the book. And it's just like, that's not the point, is it? It's 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 absorbing the story. Yeah. I've started a monologue now. <laughs> I'm the ADHD. But is it because uh, my my son just doesn't just doesn't pick up books at all? And I, I'm, for ages, I was I was very much like my parents were. You've got to read. You've got to must must be every book in front of you. But then you start to realise actually he he knows loads. He knows more about story structure than I ever did because mm. he like he just like gets interested. In it. He looks on the YouTube thing and he like. I've been reading lots of screenwriting books recently because I I did a wrote a yeah a film film thing and and like learned about the midpoint of a story which is an important thing and like I was I was explaining it to my son and we have a whenever we're watching uh, any stuff on streaming uh, there's always a point where I freeze it and go midpoint <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they started but they know they know what that is already mm. and that's usually that's something I never knew at school um, because because learning is now much more democratic and that you can you can find out if you want to you can find out anything yeah mm. anything <laughs> i was having a chat with someone about how um how you can trick uh chat chat gbt whatever it's called the the ai thing into telling you how to make a bomb by asking you <laughs> the right questions it's programmed not to tell you how to make it's a bomb, but you can trick it apparently yeah. Yeah. yeah but so like even things like that you can now you can now use AI and stuff like that to talk to your computer to ask it questions mm. so you don't even have to type in stuff to find out stuff which I think is great terrifying if you're if you're right or doing anything creative <laughs> and it's going to steal your job but yeah, um, yeah, we yeah just... I, I had there's a, I saw a thing on Twitter of an AI generated song of a of old Kanye West singing about current Kanye West and it's sound, it's not a, it's not a parody but it's in the style of his old music singing about like his own downfall <laughs> it's amazing it sounds like a re- it's really good it I've heard like, yeah. about this yeah it's crazy so can we now just replace um, our celebrities who have disgraced themselves with just a version of freeze them in aspic in, in, in yeah time. Like AI new yeah 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 new we don't need the Kanye. real, real Kanye yeah now. You've gone a bit. Oh god! Drunk. We could have new Smiths. We could have all the <laughs> so celebrities we've lost. So we can have have back. That'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. What a brilliant yeah. idea. But, um, well, we that doesn't that, Yeah, copyright doesn't exist, which is also <laughs> a creative industry. It's style, though, isn't it? It's, the, it's their style, rather. Yeah. Than the, yeah. So I don't know whether you can copyright that. Um, Barry Hotter. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very different book, I think. <laughs> so how, how did Little Howard come about? So he was. So I started. I was doing stand up, and I started um, drawing on computers. I'm not. Got, I don't have an arts background, but I just started. Um, there's a comic called Anvil Springsteen who got hold of Flash, which is a program I used, and he got mm. a hooky copy, and he was doing sketches online, right. like in the late '90s. Um, okay. And he got me a copy of it, and I started drawing. And I, I had to do a website for my stand up, like biog and stuff. Mm-hmm. And all the websites were like made in Microsoft Publisher and were terrible so I deleted everything and hand drew everything in a sort of scribbly style I think again just printed words and not so drawings was I've always been drawing in my stuff and then I started getting hold of Flash and started animating the drawings and then I was doing my first Edinburgh show and basically had 
about you know when you're doing your first hour show and you've got like a solid 30 minutes of stuff and the rest is like uh, you're great you're great assist but then you've got to find other stuff and i realized i've been doing loads of animations and got stuff going online and, and making short cartoons and i thought if i could put those in to the show then that's that's buying me funny time um but then there was no structure to the show and so i to do a like a an advert to get people to come see previews i drew this kid version of myself i can't remember when i was a kid and he just said please come to this in the voice and literally the drawing i drew then is the same drawing i'd still use because it's like fuzzy felt you it's you're moving around shapes you've already drawn mm. rather than redrawing everything with program i use and people really liked it and then in the first show i did so this is this is exactly me making things hard for myself is I created, I did some sketches, which are two-hander sketches of me and Little Howard, where it's a sketch where he, I'm cueing him to say the next line, and uh, it's a double-act sketch, it's like a two-hander or a, like a ventriloquist type sketch. Uh, but then at the end of the show, I wanted a big finish, and so I created a bit where Little Howard, a computer where everything's pre-recorded, improvises with the audience and does crowd work and Jesus. goes in the front row and says, what's your name? Like, go to the front row and... Uh, What's your name? And I programmed in the 10 most... I worked out what my demographic was and I worked out the, the most popular names in their birth years. And so I had 10 names for men, 10 names for women. And uh, and I was sitting there with a the keyboard. So it was a database of responses and jokes based on a thing that Simon Munnery said once. He was watching one of the super slick MCs in at the comedy store um, doing all the talk to a plumber in the front row and that's just an estimate and all that stuff that we all do when we're improvising when there's a joke that's already there when you meet someone because um, I, I think everyone who does improv has jokes in their back pocket that they can say if they don't think of anything which mm-hmm. makes you relax enough to think of something and so Munner was watching one of these super slick uh, comics and he leant over to the person next to him and said one day all this will be done by machines and I took that as a challenge <laughs> uh, uh, and so wrote a database of jokes and depending on what the audience said, was accessing them on a keyboard, um, uh, but really badly. And so part of the fun was the audience could see what I was doing and could see when it glitched and when it went wrong. Um, and they found that all the funnier. And so they could enjoy the jokes, but all enjoy the spectacle of someone trying to do this stupid thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, that, again, it's, it's me doing my stuff very childish and naive, but in amongst that, I always have to have a little voice going I'm clever too <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and that's a that I think that's a that comes from growing up dyslexic is my thinking I just came to stand up with just the joy after like doing improv and musical theater of the fact that it's just one microphone in yeah. my notebook so whenever anyone does anything more involved than that I'm like have you missed the joy of this but that, but that like emceeing and improvising doing an uh, I'm resident MC in a, a, um, a gig in Dorking and I never do any material I just talk to the audience yeah, yeah. and always it always, always ends up being really funny and you can get you can and that's my favourite thing about performing is being myself on stage and being mm-hmm. funny um, and yet everything I'm known for is is the the antithesis of that the most yeah yeah I make things hard for myself is the yeah. do you do you still, even now, make things hard for yourself? Or, like, I mean, I guess you've kind of referenced that you have a couple times, but do you catch yourself doing it and go, no, 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 I can just enjoy this. I don't have to show how clever I am. Yeah, or I, is- I think so more and more. And also with more, the sort of more success you've got and the more 
the more you're working with people who you know respect you. Yeah. Because uh, if we stand up, you're, you're always, unless you're famous, you're always working with an audience of people who have no idea who you are. Yeah. Um, whereas now I'm usually collaborating with writers and things like that and directors who I wouldn't be there if they didn't rate me. And so uh, hopefully it's a bit less. But you're always, you're always trying. I mean, we're all show-offs, aren't we? That's, that's the thing. But yeah. I think I have a... I have a just being funny isn't enough sometimes for me and I just need to go yes it is I mean my, my most successful uh, routine in my in my kids show is a fart psychic thing where it's just lots and lots of fart sound effects yeah. and I think possibly that proves that I've got over myself because <laughs> <laughs> it's been with stand up like there is your stuff is very clever but also there's there is a love of sort of which I think is true of all sort of stupidness and sort of yeah. silliness in it as well. So that's sort of a... But I, I, for some reason I can't be... Like, I love people like Rob Rouse and, and Tony Law and who can just revel in the silliness of things. And mm. there's part of me that can't switch off and can't just let, let, let that be enough. Because it is enough. It's so fun. Like Rob Rouse is one of the funniest people. Mm. Just to, And he, ne- he never has to go... He lets himself be the fool. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember one time, I don't think, I I mean, I don't know if Rob tuned into the whole thing, but I was doing one of those, one of the very few Zoom comedy shows I did over lockdown. I very did. (laughs) Very few. And, uh, you know, I did my bit. And uh, which was just talking at the screen, you know, because you're basically monologuing because there's no real feedback. Just being like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? (laughs) And then Rob came on. And he's out in his garden, and instead of doing any type of stand-up or storytelling or sitting in front of his camera having a chat, he decided he would do a chicken race with his chickens. <laughs> and that, w- and that's when I was like, that's what this medium needs. Like, you mm. know what I mean? Because just standing, not, I mean, the audience was lovely. And uh, I love everyone who did Zoom gigs. Thank you so much for keeping us alive. Joe, Andrew, you guys had me on them. And, uh, but... I, it was just so like that outside of the box thinking yeah, yeah. is just like just fucking blows your mind when you see it and it's so silly and stupid that it's like I really thought about these jokes and this guy just went into his garden and yelled at some chickens <laughs> and I just years later I'm thinking about like oh what I'm missing is chickens I need <laughs> more chickens <laughs> Yeah, he. I. I once had a wanted to do an Edinburgh show, purely about ducks. Um, I just had was obsessed with ducks, and uh, Rob beat me to the punch by owning a duck, and he did a show on on ducks, including he's got chickens and ducks. About, uh, the ducks predated the chickens, I think. He's got right. chickens now. Wow. Yeah, he's slowly working through the whole, <laughs> whole farm. Yeah. It's going to work up to an ostrich or something, yeah. and it's going to be yeah. going to be great. It's going to be bigger. That's amazing. I didn't know that Rob had any any birds. That's incredible. Um. <laughs> I'm sitting thinking about wildfowl now. <laughs> Just the Avery. Is he neurodivergent? Now that we've talked about it, we've got to figure that out. I'll send him one of my emails where I just ask and make him uncomfortable. Are you neurodivergent? Would you like to be on the bike? No, I'm not. Okay, thank you. We've sent a few emails to people going, Really? Are you, sure? <laughs> <laughs> like, you might want to get that chat. Um. Okay, so here's a question. How how do you overcome the chip on your shoulder? And I mean, for you, it's making things hard for yourself, but I think so many people have a chip on their shoulder of some sort. Mm. You know you have it, mm. 
So is there any time that you're able to like just be like, okay, it's not going to be about that right now? I think I now because I've realised I do it. I think for years I didn't realise it. I did. It. I think it was. I, I think I think it was actually doing Stu's um, um, comedians comedians, but when I actually sit and talk about it, go, oh god, what am I? What am I doing? Why, why have I done this to myself? Um, but I think because now I know I do it, I can go, Howard, you're doing this now. You're doing. You're making it far too complicated for yourself. Um, but also, I just you also have got to embrace it as well because I think it's a thing you I'm going to struggle to turn off. And yeah. So, um, yeah, just make that part of my life and comedy persona and and, uh, and he- a lot of the like sort of self therapizing I'm doing. That's not the right word, but uh, writing sort of dramas and stories and things like that. You just start going. I'm just going to put that aspect of me into a character and see if put it out there and see if anyone else does that. It's a problem that it's really hard to tell if anyone else has. And whenever I put anything uh, really that's really about myself in my stand-up, the audiences very much go, "Nope, <laughs> that's not that's not me." Um, I, I think there's uh, there's something in all sort of common. There's something very funny about people making things hard for themselves. Mm-hmm. And people, I fucking love that. Have you seen the video of Luke McQueen doing stand-up when the football's on? No. So he goes into a pub turns off the football and does stand <laughs> wow it's amazing and I, th- I think there's so, there's so many Matt Ewins I think is a very good example as well of, of comics that have made things difficult for themselves yeah, yeah. And I think that's really for no reason you know and I think part of comedy is like about the pointlessness of of everything yeah. you know? and, and seeing the struggle of um, so one of the things I do with my animated characters is I sometimes see a comic that's doing that that's making something incredibly hard for themselves mm. and and find because i think comics find seeing other performers really fail <laughs> really funny mm-hmm. um and that's a very hard thing to to make an audience laugh at because as soon as an audience feels uncomfortable they stop laughing mm-hmm. whereas so a lot of my um stand-up performers who are cartoons like little howard does very childish stand-up and a lot of it isn't very funny i had a robot called hbot 2000 the funny robot from the future mm. who did terrible jokes about technology and then made a big showbiz noise went Woo! <laughs> um, and it was funny because it was terrible but because it was a cartoon the audience didn't empathize with the cartoon so they didn't feel bad for them so you can make that funny yeah um, whereas a performer unless a really good performer that can translate to the audience that I'm only pretending to be shit because comedy about people being shit is really hard to get across to an audience who if you're doing it too well they'll think you're shit mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah yeah so I, yeah, yeah, I some of my most successful characters have been seeing something that happens that's apocalyptic in a comedy club and making that funny for yeah. people who don't just sit there laughing because it's not them. I mean, I guess, like, I mean, Joe and I uh, are not big fans of the whole make your neurodivergency, you're super powered. But, like, mm. when, yeah, if you lean into making things hard for yourself, I mean, that is how you've made great things. Like, Little Howard doesn't exist without yeah, yeah. you making things hard for yourself. You've created great art out of your chip on your shoulder. Yeah, and that's the thing. You've got to, you've got to appreciate it as well as yeah, yeah. When when, you, when you, I see myself doing it, yeah, nearly everything I've done that's been successful has been because I've got that chip on my shoulder, yeah. which is, um, yeah, which is very true. And yeah, I'm totally. There's lots of there's lots of shows about uh, neurodiversity, which are very much make make it your superpower. But also, I think you do need to show that it makes your life really fucking hard work sometimes. Yeah. And also really funny as well. I'm they're writing a show about um, pitching, a, working on a show about a, uh, a kid with ADHD 
um, with other people who have ADHD. Um, I was and, not consulted for this project, <laughs> by the way. Um, and, and you, yeah, and the sort of the lean is uh, make it a super action. But no, you don't want to do that because kids with ADHD aren't going to watch that and go, well, that's me. Yeah. Because they're also going to be tuning in for the bits where it really mucks up your life. And if you can make that funny for them, then, that, then I think that's also good because it, laughing at something de-stresses it slightly as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I get, uh, like, is there a time, so we've talked a lot about, like, your writing and your career, but is there a time where dyslexia or making things hard on yourself have made things hard in your personal life? Yeah, loads yeah. and loads. Yeah. Um, uh, anything to do with tax. I'm, like, I was, when I was doing the TV show, I was VAT registered for a while, which is incredibly complicated. And I tried to, and then my, my money fell below that level again. And, uh, and three times I tried to deregister for that, and I failed every single time because I just didn't. I didn't read the website properly, and it happened three times. And like the VAT is, like tax people can find you, uh, VAT people can like send you to jail. And I literally three times I had to write them a letter going, um, "I'm sorry, for the last six months I should have been paying VAT because I, but because I, but I didn't officially de." De- but the worst De-vatify one devatifies myself. This podcast is actually a sting operation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you busted that. But the um, the times when it was like uh, I so in my exams at school and at uni, I got extra time for dyslexia after I got diagnosed. So after GTSEs, um, uh, so very often at the end of the exam, I'd be the only person in the exam carrying on writing. For Are you it. saying you have to get your tax return in the end of February to get extra time? <laughs> no, yeah, no, that? apparently not. Uh-huh. Um, although no one, yeah, I did write to the they never write <laughs> he never wrote back, uh, but I also never got fined or anything like that. So I think they just went oh, right. oh, twat. <laughs> 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 but um, so in so my best uh, dyslexic moment, there's several loads of things happened with exams in that I I went to entirely the wrong room because there was a there was a, a room code on the uni and it wasn't at the uni and there and it was all letters and numbers and I misread it and, and turned up twenty minutes late because I'd gone I was waiting outside entirely the wrong room. But the best one was I was doing a history... Uh, I know I'd done a history exam, and I went to the common room afterwards and said, there's a really weird question on my history exam. And I was like, this is my finals, uh, to, to a mate, and said, um, it, was, it was talking about the casual relationship between two things. It's a weird thing to ask. And so I'd written an episode, uh, oh, a thing about no. the casual relationship between two historical things. I can't, and as soon as I said it, my mates went, causal? That's causal? Which is an entirely different, like, and and but again, I wrote to the exam board and said, "Listen, I'm dyslexic. This essay is going to sound really weird." But I wrote quite a good essay. If anybody, if anybody were to want to know the answer about the sort of laid back, <laughs> the laid back, the not not that important to anybody, the sort of stuff that no one really sweats. If you if you ever wanted to read that email, that, that what, essay, what, wow. two, what two histories I have to know? I can't. Like, the Revolutionary the... War and mass-producing sliced bread, not as a big deal. As you but, think yeah, yeah. but at no point in in the three and it was nearly four hours uh, because I had the extra time. Did I go? This is. I mean, this is a weird question. It's really weird. But I think that's also part of of. Growing up dyslexic is I always assume I'm the wrong the one who's got it wrong. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, that isn't the case in that. Sorry, yeah, well, you were right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. what, were, what were the two things that... I can't remember. I think it was something to do with Elizabeth I or something like that, and possibly, like, the Armada maybe like that, which would there would be something you could say about that, like, what caused one. Or maybe it was the First World War and... The, or maybe the—I mean, I don't think it was this because I definitely—if it was the, the the First World War and the Second World War, what are the causal relationships? Like, how did the first casual World relationship? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I think if it was a war thing, I would have gone. Yeah, because they always ask. They always watch the causes of the First World War and the causes of the Second World War. But yeah, but I'd never—I don't think I'd ever word, read the word causal before. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I so, thought you were going to say that you've been to the wrong room and that you opened your exam. And you're like, this is a weird history fact. It's asking me all no, about fortunately, biology. Yeah. <laughs> fortunately, I can't. Yeah. They're spelling history weird today, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, fortunately, when I went to the wrong room, that was, uh, it wasn't an exam. It wasn't there, an exam. So, yeah, that, so okay. the, 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 even I picked up on those clips. <laughs> <laughs> you might have put it wrong. That's amazing. We, we're close for time. We need to. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to point out that. Uh, Andrew White, our uh, lovely producer today, as we're talking about how tricky the written word can be to physically read, is over there being neurotypical, just reading a fucking book. Just Billy it. Porter at that. Mm, gr- I, I, would, I would like to listen to that on an audio book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you and your neurotypicalness. <laughs> Listening to people talk on a podcast while reading a book is something I could never do. No, no. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. If you ever wondered if you're neurodivergent, this moment right here proves you're not. <laughs> Sorry, it's just I caught that out of the corner of my eye and I couldn't let it slide. Uh, yeah, all right. You want to do the wrap-up, Joe? Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. We need to ask you for a neurodivergent moment. Oh, I've just done it. That was my... <laughs> was that the one you have planned? Well, that was the one you I had planned. Oh, no. another one. When um, you said this dyslexic moment, I was like, I think he's doing it. He's done it on property. Um, oh, that's amazing. Uh, have I got any more? Um, that's probably the best one. Okay. Uh, can we repackage that? Uh, yeah, no problem. Joe, you have a clean edit of you going, what's your neurodivergent moment? Yeah, can, and you, just can you just do a lead in, into it? Um, okay. Like, it probably happened when I was at school, something like that. Um, okay. Okay. Do you have a neurodivergent moment? Um, probably the best one happened when I was at uni, um, after I'd been diagnosed with dyslexia. Cool. Yeah. That should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll go and redo it. Or we could just leave. <laughs> I don't know, Joe. I'm going to be honest. Given the fact that this is one of our podcasts with one of our dyslexic guests, I really feel like him doing his whole neurodivergent moment and then us asking for it, and you had done it before. There's something very, very <laughs> dyslexic about that whole vibe to me. It's going to be like pop fiction, isn't it? See, but again, I'm trying to be too clever. Yeah, I, was trying, I was trying to weave it seamlessly into the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's a Format point. It's a format point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to say it. Got to use the words. Uh, <laughs> Howard, thank you so much for coming thank on. You. And uh, how do our listeners find your books, your animations, your everything? Where uh, do they go? So there's a very out of date website at uh, howardreed.com. It's R E A D. And but I'm on socials on Howard Reed R E A D uh, at Howard Reed at, uh, at Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. You're the only Howard Reeds. Yeah. Or I just got in early. Got really, early, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just old and everyone. He was on the <laughs> forefront of technology. Remember, he was making animations before social media was a fucking thing. Yeah. I was, I was also before people knew how to make any money on online things. I was, I was making yeah, yeah. the late nineties, sort of doing cartoons on 
online. Wow, I remember some but putting some them on them E-Bombs on... World. Where, where, where yeah. did they go? Sorry, on E-Bombs World. There oh, was no YouTube. Well, yeah. No, so it was all so Flash is like an so the Flash. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized we're like, what was it like, Papa? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you used to be able to watch uh, Flash like cartoons on websites and stuff. You know, you made your own website and you you did that, but then that got commissioned by uh, people who were trying to work out how to do content. Like when people were trying to work out how to do content online, like before before YouTube and before in the days of the hamster dance, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it was contemporaneous yeah. with that and the wow. the dancing baby and things like that. But yeah. like, those were gifts. Powerpuff Girls like, versus Osama bin Laden. Do you remember that? No, I'm not sure how problematic it was. Now. <laughs> now I think about it, it might, it might not have been okay. But I was 12 and didn't know any better. Wow. But I that was YouTube, was it? It was it was an e bomb. Is it e bomb's world? Yeah, yeah. It's like a sort of flash animation of of the Powerpuff Girls fighting. That's what I'm a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was all that all that sort of. That. So I wow. yeah I learned how to do all the animation to do online videos before before online videos had a platform to do it on. Yeah, I'm before. very old. <laughs> uh, awesome. So check Howard Reed at, at uh, his socials. How. At, Howard Reed. Yeah. At Howard Reed. And uh, thank you so much. Cruelly, of course, you spell read like reading a book. Oh! oh. Gosh, you <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Welcome. Uh, welcome. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, my God. I okay. just, I love the energy between the actual <laughs> podcast record we did a couple weeks ago where we're so up and clearly having fun, <laughs> and now we're just both on Zoom being like, I guys, fucking just listen to the goddamn podcast. <laughs> that was Howard Reed, and that was Joe and Abigail with energy. <laughs> with energy. After uh, a good night's sleep, that's what we sound like. Yeah. Now we don't. Like- uh yeah that being said since we don't have any energy to talk let's do neurodivergent moments do you have one of your own i do i have uh just i need to explain if if this person is listening to the podcast this is why i was weird um i did a preview (laughs) a preview of the vault festival and uh, i have some a bit in my new show about um uh them changing uh the layout in the supermarket and making lovely, lovely conversation afterwards, a woman said to me, oh, imagine how I felt when I went to the supermarket. It had gone. Now, like, I now realise that she meant it closed suddenly. But like, the image, I couldn't understand what she was saying at the time. Because I was thinking, like, you know, like in, like, a science fiction film where, like, a house is, like, just lifted up from... I thought that she'd gone to the supermarket and there was... Just fair land where I've been taken by aliens. Um, so that was why I was confused about what you were saying. Um, I realise now that it was the supermarket. But you said it had disappeared. It hadn't disappeared. <laughs> the supermarket was still there. And your you beautiful didn't have access to it. Yeah. autistic brain just pictured disappeared <laughs> in the most literal sense. Yeah, yeah. Like something from Doctor Who. Oh, God bless. <laughs> So if you're listening to this, because um, I think they are a fan of my work, uh, that that was why I, I was a bit confused by what you were saying. <laughs> what do you have a neurodivergent moment? Yeah, my neurodivergent moment is a friend uh, offered to give me a lift home from a gig very sweetly. Garrick Millerick drove me from uh, Oxford to my house. 
And uh, right when we got in his car, he goes postcode. And I panicked and gave him a postcode. And two hours later, he stops his car <laughs> and goes, I go, why are we stopping here? He goes, because this is where you live. And I go, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just gave him the wrong postcode. And you it, thought it was like an improv activity. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, too, is I didn't even give him my old postcode. I gave him, like, a combination of my current postcode and my old postcode. And we wow. wound up somewhere in, I think, Barnet? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh, at least I live did north. Then, and did I gave then drive him... you to your real home? Yep. Yep, because he's a legend. Oh, God bless him. <laughs> he would have been within his rights to go, no, you, you live you, here now. This you is you it out. Yeah, well done to Garrett. He's a lovely man. Yeah, surprise, we have to go into central London. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the, um, the, the charge. Um, uh, we some listener moments. Yeah, we also have some... <laughs> Oh, God, I think I rarely actually listen to our actual podcast, Joe, I'll tell you, uh, because I always watch the whole thing to make the clips for socials. Mm. So I'm like, I don't need to listen, but I'm really I'm going to listen to this just to hear the <laughs> see how it's come out. It's going to be a real tone shift. <laughs> OK, guys. Uh, yeah. Do you want to go first or would you like me to go first with listener neurodivergent moments? I'll go first. I have this one uh, from uh, Sarah, who says, I mix up the sayings, it put the fear of God into me, and it gives me the willies, and said to someone, it put the willies in me. Um, (laughs) That would have been fine if I wasn't talking to my boss. Uh, I got some funny looks, and I was twitching for a whole week. (laughs) Oh, my God. put the willies in me. Put the willies thank you sarah oh my god i love that so much i feel like we should some of these are things which people might be like uh, embarrassed about i think we should be like you know like when you go to like confession and Mm -hmm. people and like they're like you're like absolved of this thing we i think we need to absolve people of the shame and uh you can now hold your head high sarah it's been read out on neurodivergent it's become a neurodivergent moment there's no no shame in in saying it put the willies in me (laughs) Yeah, there's no shame. And you know what? Sometimes you do get the willies in you. <laughs> it does happen. Uh, some people make a huge career on certain websites for getting <laughs> the willies in them. It happens, you know. We should copyright that. Put the willies in me. Com. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to start making t-shirt merch with yes. neurodivergent <laughs> moments. They put the willies in me. Uh, okay, I have one here. Um, uh, listener warning. This says about uh, adult content. This is about sexy times. So if children are listening, turn off the podcast now. Uh, also, this person uh, did not give me a name. So, or did not say I could use their name. So I'm not going to use their name. But darling, you know who you are. Uh <laughs> They started the podcast, I will say, or excuse me, they started the podcast. Fuck me. Uh, Joe, they started the email by just saying how much they enjoy our podcast, which was very sweet. Thank you. And I'm going to skip all of that. <laughs> so here's their neuro- neurodivergent moment. I was staying over at my boyfriend's, now ex, and he had given me oral sex. Sweetheart. 
I had tried. It's grown up very quickly. Then, doesn't it? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd be in. Okay. What's really great about this is to read the actual email. It's just like a gush about how great we are. Then into so I was, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Uh, I was staying over at my boyfriend's now ex, and he had given me oral sex. I had tried to do the same for him, but due to his mental health medication, he has trouble reaching the end when someone else is doing it for him. So he apologized that he couldn't and wanted to finish himself off. Whilst I sat awkwardly on his desk chair, whilst he was getting down to it, I noticed a book on his desk and just blurted out, oh, I see you're reading a book on Stalin. <laughs> He just stared at me, and I had no idea why at the time until he said, you know what I'm doing, and you think that's going to help the mood? Needless to say, I felt embarrassed and didn't really know how to react, so just apologized. We stayed, we have stayed good friends, and I have laughed about it now. Aww. <laughs> that, that was a fantastic moment. That was amazing. And uh, my friend... That's our second rude one. We had, a, we had one other one, didn't we? Yes, we've that had was, a second not, I don't know how much I want to open the floodgates of encouraging people to send in sex stories because <laughs> we can slowly transition into a very different podcast. Just but, a um, sex podcast. Yes. Hey, <laughs> if it gets the listenership up. Uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, like Joe said, your, uh, your embarrassing moment has now become a neurodivergent moment. So you are Good absolved. Good has come from it. You are absolved of your sins <laughs> uh, or absolved of your embarrassment. There's no sin there. It's just embarrassing, isn't it? Uh, mm. That was great. Hey, guys, uh, as you know, we have a Patreon. We have a, we had a couple new Patreon subscribers uh, subscribe here at the end of uh, this past month. Do we have some, some £10 ones we need to shout out? Uh, yes, we do. Um, Tom Cather. Thank you so much for Thank your you, ten, Tom Cather. 10 pound Patreon. Amazing. Thank you. You are one of our favorites. There's about three of the 10 pound ones, isn't there, all together? And they're all our favorites. The rest, the rest, the, I mean, the, the, our least favorite are the people who just listen for free, stealing, <laughs> stealing our hard work. The patrons, okay. the ones who pay three pounds a month, you're okay. And then the favorites are <laughs> the 10 pound ones. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, thank you for listening, no matter how much <laughs> money you give us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, everybody. I was being silly as a little joke. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, Joe, why don't we go and both take separate naps now? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you soon. All bye. Right, bye, bye, guys. Listeners.